Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. On Israel's 73rd year history, no government has ever had to work harder to get to the starting line, but two and a half years after the political crisis began and two and a half months since the latest elections, the Bennett-Lapid government is on the launching pad. It brings together under one roof improbable partners, left and right, religious and secular, as well as Jews and Arabs. And while this government's declared aspiration to unseat Netanyahu is pending a confidence vote in Parliament next week on Sunday, it remains to be seen whether this iota remains enough to keep the ideologically diverse coalition glued together for the long haul. To further analyze this topic, we're joined from Jerusalem by Mr. Mitchell Barak, who is the CEO of Kivun Research Group. Thank you for joining us. Also joining us from Central Israel is former Knesset member Dov Lipman. Thank you for do- joining us as well. Good and to be with, with you. Indeed. And with me here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, this government is quite diverse. As I just mentioned, it has uh, left, right, center, but also within the center, different kinds, within the right, different kinds, and within the left, different kinds. So you have a little bit of everything, uh, including for the first time in Israel's history, uh, an Arab party partaking actively in a government, something that is unprecedented within Israeli politics. However, the one thing that glued this construct together was the bid to unseat Netanyahu, who seemed to continue uh, in the path of, of managing somehow to maintain Jerusalem's seat of power. But now uh, that they have seemingly been successful, of course, uh, small nuances could change the whole game uh, this upcoming Sunday. Uh, is this enough to, to really allow them to now deal with pressing issues that the state of Israel has to deal with? So NB is taking over from BN, Naftali Bennett from Benjamin Netanyahu. Is that a big deal? Yes, it's a very big deal. It's a watershed event in Israel's history in uh, many uh, uh, respects, um, not the least of which is, uh, to paraphrase um, President Kennedy in his inauguration, the torch has been passed to a new generation. Um, Netanyahu, uh, as well as Ehud Olmert and earlier Ehud Barak, was born in the 1940s. Yes, Ariel Sharon, uh, who was born in the late 1920s, um, snuck in in the middle. But what uh, we are seeing now is that people who were born in the second decade of Israel's existence, from 1958 on, um, Mr. Gantz, uh, Mr. Lieberman, uh, President Herzog, uh, who is 60 years old, and then on to uh, Lapid, and uh, Saar um, in the 60s, and uh, Bennett in the 70s. This is a new generation of politicians. Uh, Of course, uh, sometime in the future, it may revert to Netanyahu. Uh, We don't uh, know for sure what will happen to him. But this is more important, perhaps, than the policies to expect 
um, of this government or even its longevity. Because this is the 36th government in Israel's history, which means that the 35 preceding governments um, served for 73 years, which comes down to two years and one month um, uh, for an average. It doesn't bode well for uh, this government uh, statistically. But they will have an interest in sticking together. You mentioned uh, that uh, it's being glued. This is probably the strongest glue Israel has ever produced. Up to now, there was another glue, which uh, is what kept Netanyahu um, into his seat and uh, in the uh, uh, prime minister's residence uh, uh, at Balfour uh, Street. But it uh, turns out that uh, these um, separate and disparate uh, elements have come together first, as you said, to unseat Netanyahu. But once in power, they will have an incentive not to get bogged down in petty squabbles. One remembers what happened um, when Ehud Barak was in power and there was some um, uh, dispute with Shas, with the religious party, over work uh, on a Sabbath something which is really minute. And Barack said at the time, I can't back down because Assad and other leaders in the Middle East are watching to see whether I'm strong or weak. Well, we have long, all learned this lesson. They are now going to try and solve their problems uh, secretly, quietly, without uh, having the government uh, break down. Staying in the <coughs> name Ehud, we're talking, of course, about a different Ehud, Ehud Olmert, who uh, in 2006 uh, served as the Prime Minister of Israel uh, as part of the Kadima Party, for that matter. Uh, and I'd like to actually ask you, uh, and there is a reason I raised this specifically, but I'd like to ask you, uh, Mr. Barak, when we're talking about that era, there was the Second Lebanon War, there was, uh, of course, uh, the disengagement from the Gaza Strip prior to that, but uh, one of the key reasons that the current designate Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, uh, who will serve at least for the first two years, if it manages to reach that long, uh, of this uh, uh, new coalition, uh, he served in the same unit that Prime Minister Netanyahu is serving uh, uh, or served in his past. They come from the same uh, heritage or military heritage, if you will. And uh, his best friend in that unit was killed uh, during the Second Lebanon War, which ultimately led him to investigate the situation and understand that there was a lack of governance, a lack of policy, a lack of strategy, something that led him into politics. The first job he took was the chief of staff of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu at the time, who sought to enter, uh, actually he wasn't yet prime minister, he was the opposition leader, who aspired to become prime minister, but uh, unfortunately to him, he didn't win the largest party at the time, Kadima won under Tsipi Livni. However, uh, in uh, a political spin behind the scenes, he managed to secure the support of the ultra-Orthodox parties who granted him uh, the premiership, which then lasted until today, basically, 12 consecutive years, of course, with uh, the abruption of two and a half years in which, in between, 
uh, after a uh, year and 17 days, they managed to make an emergency government together with uh, uh, Benny Gantz, but that is a minor uh, glitch in this uh, situation. I'd like to hear you specifically, do you think that this whole pathway uh, in which now Naftali Bennett enters government, all he pretty much knows from government is Netanyahu. Is he going to be much of the same, or are we now going to see a new reinvented uh, leader who is going to pull Israel into multiple directions or a specific direction? Well, first of all, you brought up uh, Prime Minister Ehud Olmert, so I would just like to remind the audience that Ehud Olmert, you know, a lot has been saying about Naftali Bennett, he only has six seats, how should he be Prime Minister? So first of all, that's what the system in Israel is. It's one of the 120 members of Knesset. If 61 members of Knesset vote them in, they become the prime minister. It can be from a large party, a small party. The only reason I bring this up is because people are saying he's not a legitimate prime minister and so forth. Totally legitimate. Ehud Omer, who you mentioned, came from the 33rd spot in the Likud. He almost did not make it onto the Likud list. He was in the 33rd spot. Sharon gave him to be a minister in his government. And then when Sharon was incapacitated, he took over the Kadima party and became prime minister. So you can go from six or seven seats to be prime minister. You can go from the 33rd spot. It doesn't matter. That's how the system is. So that's the first thing. Uh, as far as Naftali Bennett, he, did, he didn't have experience working in the prime minister's office because he worked in the head of the opposition, but he certainly does have experience in government as a minister, certainly knows his way around the Knesset. I mean, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He is a leader of a political party. And although he's changed and had many, many different parties over the last few years, he's always been at least ahead in name or in actuality of a political party. So he understands what's going on. He understands how to work with other people. I think his background in the military, in being in this elite fighting unit, the same one as the Netanyahu, uh, Netanyahu brothers were in, as many other famous and important politicians and military leaders, as well as his business background. You know, we just read today that he's having another exit on an investment he made in a fintech company a number of years ago. So he's actually had a startup, ran a startup, uh, was able to bring it public. He has a, a, a series of different experiences in his life, uh, which maybe some politicians don't have. Uh, most politicians, in fact, don't have business experience like he does. So he's going to come with a different perspective to the prime minister's office. We're going to really have to go back and look at what Netanyahu was like in 96 when he was prime minister. And he was really horrible, meaning uh, and that's partially because of Netanyahu learning the job of being so young to get in, of having a, you know, taking over from that last generation of Shimon Peres and taking the job. But there is a serious learning curve. What does seem to be the case is this really is a first among equals and not someone who comes in as a leader of a large party. He really needs to work with all the coalition partners. And it does look like it's going to be government by uh, by it's going to be governing by the partners in the coalition. And he's going to need to really uh, include everyone in the decision making in order for him to really get things done. Otherwise, at any point, anyone can just put a spoke in the in the wheel of his prime ministership, and then he's he's stuck. So you're going to have to learn how to work with other people, but there certainly will be a learning curve. Hopefully, for his sake and the country's sake, the public will not be brutal with him, 
like they are with many leaders, including Olmert, who lost the public support, certainly after the uh, Second Lebanon War. You got to give the guy a chance to hire the people, to get to know the job, and to get on, uh, get his agenda moving. Indeed. M.K. Lipman, how do you view this? So first of all, uh, the interesting dynamic here, I'm going to go back to what Amir started with and say, this is a passing of the torch, but not necessarily permanently. Remember, as opposed to John Kennedy, where he's now taking over as president for the next number of years, uh, Netanyahu is not disappearing. He's becoming the head of the opposition. He has vowed to fight and be uh, on camera day after day. He'll be building a strong base. Let's remember Naftali Bennett has essentially lost his entire voter base from the right wing, and they're going to be finding other places in the right wing to vote. If this government does not last, the next election will be with Netanyahu in the starting point in the lead to become prime minister. So this is a quasi passing of the torch, but by no means in any way permanent. That's number one. Number two, uh, let's remember that Naftali Bennett to run this government has essentially said, I'm abandoning my overall ideological agenda. We are not going to move forward with my uh, right wing. He outflanks Netanyahu on the right in terms of how he views the Palestinian issue. But what he's basically saying is to make this work, to have this unique government where you have from far right to far left, uh, we're going to have to put aside a lot of the ideologies and try to work on socioeconomic issues, uh, certainly uh, uh, getting rid of regulation, helping the middle class, uh, trying to heal the wounds in Israeli society, help Israel get out of the economic crisis called by, caused by corona. And that's where the focus has to be. And he has said that openly, uh, that he is doing that. Remember, he knows. He knows that if Israel goes to another election anywhere time soon, he's essentially committed political suicide. He has no base whatsoever to get into the next Knesset. So he will do everything possible to manage this. And what they're going to have to do is make sure that all the various partners toe the line, that they don't go too far outside the borders and the parameters that they've set so that no one will feel uncomfortable being in this coalition. That could be enough to keep this coalition going for a significant period of time. There are ministers who have never had a chance to be ministers in a government, in Meretz, and some in labor, and other places. So there's a real opportunity for some of these members to, uh, for the first time, and perhaps only time, uh, be in minister positions. So there are various things to keep it in check. The only thing I will say is that all it will take is one renegade MK here or there who, for whatever reason, uh, his fire is lit. Uh, there are tremendous pressures against many of them. That could be enough at some point to topple this razor-thin coalition of just 61 mandates where just one person leaving uh, takes away their majority. Indeed. Well, I, I think it's still important to mention this is not a done deal. And Mr. Oren, I'd like to hear from you the technicalities of things. There's now discussions in Israel, uh, especially from Netanyahu's camp, in trying to find a, a single defector, or at least two, that would change the balance of power. Uh, of course, that this uh, goes into question then whether there are guarantors on the other side who might then back such a government uh, regardless, and then once again alter the equation against Netanyahu's camp in favor of Bennett's camp. Give us a little bit of an understanding. We've received plenty of questions on this. Well, at the risk uh, of having uh, to ask the producers here to um, burn the uh, tape um, 
almost like in the uh, Mission Impossible uh, series. The secretary will disavow and uh, it will go up uh, in smoke. It is a done deal. Uh, in the uh, two days, in the weekend ahead of us, it will not change. And renegades can go over to the other side as well. The paradox that uh, Netanyahu is facing is that defectors go to the winner. And without defectors, he cannot win. He has 59 votes, or used to have, because Bennett is not going to, to go over to him now that uh, his prime ministership uh, is uh, assured. But even if we play the game and say, yes, Netanyahu can have the uh, six votes that Bennett has now out of the seven, which he won, and he can add two, he cannot do it. And one reason he cannot do it is that the law bars anyone who defects from getting a position in the government in the current Knesset, unless they are one-third of a list, let's say two defectors together coming from a six-member list, which is one, one of uh, uh, the efforts uh, that Netanyahu made. But it's not going to happen also. With focus on Yamina and you hope. Yes, uh, but also because, because there is also the joint list, the other Arab list. This is a reserve. Right now, they are not being counted as part of the 61-member uh, uh, coalition. But they are there. First of all, these four are not going to vote against the government. They are not going to, to bring it down uh, in the vote of uh, confidence. And if needed, they will step in and vote for it. So there really is no hope for Netanyahu anymore. He has tried it. He has tried to woo everyone, Gidon Saar, Benny Gantz. Yeah, he tried to, to give them uh, anything and everything. All of whom were his previous partners. They were his previous uh, partners. Gidon Saar uh, went along with him for the first three of the four election campaigns. Benny Gantz, his chief rival, joined him, but eventually all the uh, uh, chickens came home to roost. Um, Netanyahu has lost his credibility. It has become personal. It's not really political. There is nothing about the policy here. And had Netanyahu stepped aside, Likud, under someone else, would have joined forces with these right-wing lists. And it may happen down the road. But because of the animosity which Netanyahu generated over the years by uh, uh, making commitments which he uh, then uh, tried to back out of and uh, speaking very harshly of rivals and then saying, oh, let bygones be bygones. Well, apparently it takes its toll on, on people's uh, psyches. Uh, so, no. Uh, come Sunday, uh, Bennett will be prime minister, Lapid will be the alternate prime minister and, and foreign, foreign minister. minister. And, um, you know, recently the um, uh, chief of staff of the U.S. Air Force, General Brown, said, I cannot predict the future, but I can try to shape it. So let me predict the future. President Biden, having invited President Rivlin for a farewell tour, will also invite Bennett and Lapid together, will give them a presidential tour of the White House. They will sleep across the street at Blair House, and Bennett will come back, and no matter what he thinks now about 
the policy vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians, should there be an American initiative, because obviously the government will not come up with an Israeli initiative. But if someone else, such as the United States, comes up with an initiative, this government will respond. Well, we're not burning this tape if uh, it goes southward, but I'd like to ask you, Mr. Barak, to what degree do you see the current government uh, capability to truly function within the, the diverse ideologies, going back to that point, uh, considering the fact that on domestic issues, uh, for instance, Israel Beiteinu, which has uh, seven mandates, if I'm not mistaken, or eight mandates, uh, is holding both the finance ministry as well as the, the uh, parliamentary commission of finance, and then it's still holding all kind of angles around that to truly be able to run the country based on its own interests, as opposed to other uh, parties that have secured their areas of interest, whether it is uh, certain commissions or ministerial positions, which then give them somewhat of a veto power on anything going forward, left or right, regardless of who is prime minister. So going back down there again, how can they function if ideologically it's not in, uh, competent to do so? Well, first of all, I, I guess you're talking about the ultra-Orthodox parties not being in the government for the first time in a very, very long time. And I think all of the people that are sitting at that table in the government are, it's actually refreshing for most of them, meaning that now there'll be some equality when it comes to representation, when it comes to uh, budgets, when it comes to, you know, having an actual school curriculum for the entire country, or when it comes to enforcement. One of the things we saw over the coronavirus is their community of the ultra-Orthodox, many of them were opening their schools, and a lot of Israelis uh, didn't think that that was fair or a way to run a country. So I think that will be something that uh, will keep everyone together in the beginning. The only people that might have had second thoughts about that was probably Naftali Bennett and the Yamina people, but after the seething and disgraceful personal insults from the leaders of both the Shas and the Aguda party, telling him to take off his kippah, telling him he's letting the reform in, I think he doesn't feel bad at all at this point uh, with that. And that will be one thing that will keep them together and it'll be an interesting thing. The other thing, is, as Dove Lipman said, the fact that you have new ministers in there from Meretz, from, uh, from the Labor Party. These are people that want to get down and work. Now, it is true that once the main goal of removing Netanyahu from office is complete, is there really going to be anything to stick them together? So you have to look at the government guidelines and the principles that they've already set out. They've set out a certain number of principles to pass a budget, to invest in certain areas, uh, you know, to, to deal with the health care crisis. Uh, they have the work cut out for them. And it does seem like it's not the kind of dramatic government that we're used to having after an election where there's a clear leader and then there's a government and they're all working together. This seems to really be the system of first among equals, meaning it's the dynamic duo of Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid. They're going to go to Washington. They're going to go to London together. They're going to do all these great things together and they're going to try and run the country together. And it does seem like they will have the support, the involvement, and the cooperation of the people in, in the government, because the alternative is not good at all, which means going to another election. And I think that, uh, that Amir Oren's point is excellent. 
the fact that you have the buffer of the other Arab parties. For when me. there weren't enough votes to change the Speaker of the Knesset, the, the joint list said, we'll take care of that. We'll vote to change uh, Yariv Levine from the Knesset. So I do think people, uh, it's not really 61, it's more. And as Amir Oren also said, people are going to go with the winner. And also, Likud leadership smells the blood already like the sharks in the ocean. Netanyahu is wounded. As we've all said here, he very much is in the twilight, in the in the remaining minutes of his uh, 4,400 days in office. And now they're starting to talk about the next leadership in Likud. He can hold on as being in the Knesset, being head of the opposition, but it just doesn't pack the power and charisma of being prime minister. He will be defeated, defeated by someone who was his assistant, by someone who worked in his office, and defeated all the most of the people around that table are people that either worked with him or were in coalitions with him. However, it's so safe to say that whenever we're going to see uh, Netanyahu, if he manages to return quickly, this is going to turn the tables uh, quite significantly. We don't have very much time left, but I'd like to ask you, MK Lipman, uh, the, both Bennett and Lapid came to reassure the ultra-Orthodox uh, leadership, uh, trying to tell them, look, not significant changes are going to happen. Uh, what do you hear? Did they uh, believe Lapid and, and Bennett about this, considering the fact that uh, uh, Finance Minister Lieberman is pretty much their biggest hawk who has uh, called for reform against the uh, uh, the so-called bias uh, uh, decision-making with regard in, in favor of the ultra-Orthodox uh, uh, parties for so many years. And, and the second angle that I'd like to hear from you is we saw plenty of protests throughout those 12 years that were quite vigorous by the ultra-Orthodox sector against various uh, uh, laws, rules that were supposedly about to pass uh, at a time when their own representatives were controlling the government. Now, with the lack of their representation in government, are we expected to see a turn southward that may even inflame the streets a lot more in that front of the, the Israeli society? So I'm going to work in reverse order and cover both of your questions. I was actually in the Knesset, in the 19th Knesset, for a two-year stint when the ultra-Orthodox were not part of the government. And mm. I was sitting on committees that dealt with issues related to the draft of the army, getting the ultra-Orthodox to the workplace, general studies in their schools. And I was shocked how behind closed doors, the ultra-Orthodox leadership, both political and rabbinic, absolutely believed that there needs to be changes to be made in their communities because the current system cannot sustain itself economically and socially. It just doesn't work to say that every single young man has to sit and study all day and night and has no future and no ability to sustain their family. Unfortunately, you have public, 20 seconds. To... MK Lipman, you have 20 seconds to uh, complete your answer as we're running out of time. Okay. Sorry. Fine. They, the leadership made a critical mistake this week attacking this new government. This new government was open to the possibility of working with them and finding some kind of compromise, and the leadership shut the door to it by attacking this government the way they did. They'll still leave the door open, but it's going to have to be a long way crawling back to get back in, and it might be a difficult term for that population. Well, unfortunately, this is all the time that we have for today. So, M.K. Lutman, Mr. Balak, thank you so very much for being a part of today's panel. Mr. Amir Oren, thank you as well for being a part of today's show, and I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.